us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Live from the offices of Voyager Communications, it's the last comic shop. Feel all sorts of 90s goodness as we open the shop up to newbies to talk about some old books from the era that is considered by many to be not the best. But there are always some gems. We are keeping the lights on for the oldies who will know what the heck we're talking about. That's right. The rest of you, you Gen Zers, I don't know. You might have to Wikipedia quite a lot of stuff on this this show. I don't I don't know. I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson, and I am not a Gen Zer. I am like at the end of Gen X. Like I think 1979 is the cutoff. That's my birth year. I am joined also by Jay Scott, who is firmly a Gen Xer, though, because he was 1978. That's right. I lean into my flannel founding. <laughs> there you go. That's why you kept talking about that Rex Manning day a few weeks back. <laughs> That's definitely a Gen X thing. Right. Anybody that has the Empire Records soundtrack on both vinyl and and CD. That's that's a Gen Xer. I'm also joined by Chad Smith, who, I, I don't know, are you Gen X? Are you Gen Y? Are you on the... I, so, I'm part of the Oregon Trail generation. <laughs> where we are the bridge between the millennials and the Gen Xers. Okay. We know what it's like to go to school both with and without the internet. Ah. We, we've been to libraries before and uh, used the card catalog. We've also done our research online and have a handle on some of the technology. Wow. Yeah. So you're like the bionic generation. Like, you get the best of both worlds. That's it. That, that's me. That's, that's it. the best of everything. The best of everything. It's the year of chat. <laughs> but this is not a Chad pick on this week's no, show. No, it's not. It is a JA pick. As you may or may not know, we finished up uh, Movie Mayhem just last week with our final entry. Uh, and before we get into other movies, given it's the summertime, so we've got things like The Flash and Blue Beetle and maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The, the jury's still out on whether we're going to cover that or not. But what? We Why have... are we going to cover that? It looks so fun. <laughs> we have so many things to do. We've got con stuff to do. We've got Three Rivers Con interviews that we still haven't done on this show regardless. So fun. Listen, we wanted to take just a... Just a breather and just just a straight comic book episode this week. So we'd ask J.A., like, what's a, what's a comic book you just want to read finally on this show? And what was your choice, J.A.? We are doing Harbinger, Children of the Eighth Day, the original 1992 run with Jim Shooter, David Laffham, and J.J. Jackson. Now, for those folks that are longtime fans of The Last Comic Shop, you will know that J.A. Scott was uh, obsessed with all things Valiant. I don't know. After issue 25 of all these sort of founding books, things kind of fell off the rails a bit. And then, you know, they got bought out by Acclaim and then they lost the gold key licenses and everything that made the original shared universe so unique started to lose a little bit of its splendor and the shine wore off a bit and then it became just another comic book retread it wasn't that different from a marvel or dc at that point so the the uniqueness that valiant had captured lightning in the bottle in that early 90s original runs of a lot of these books i thought fell off but then they came back when they started reintroducing titles um after acclaim i think sold it you know valiant's got this weird legal history it moves around a bit but i mean a lot of the stuff that they did in the 90s they can't do now because they don't own all the licenses anymore yes so my question for you as the valiant guy because i grew up i i was more enamored with image because i was just looking at the pictures so ask me about the early image books i, I got you but what are the highlights of early Valiant, the, the founding books? Which ones would you say are the tops of the tops? Obviously, Harbinger, if you like your X-Men sort of mutant teenager type, the Barry Windsor Smith created Archer and Armstrong, arguably the best buddy book around from the oh. 90s where you've got this Harry Krishna monk and this old immortal drunk walking around the world trying to fix things and be good, but at the same time getting into all sorts of hijinks. You've got the Eternal Warrior, this man who just fights for righteousness throughout history and throughout time, never dying. His hair always growing. I remember him. Yes. 
Gilead Apollo. And then I love the gold key characters that they brought in. Then they made them feel like they belonged within this universe in Dr. Solar, who created the Valiant universe. And that's what the whole first 10 issues of uh, Solar Man of the Atom is about. And then Magnus the Robot Fighter, which takes place in the 40th century. So, yeah, it was a lot of lot of good stuff to plumb in that. Uh, later on, they they introduced uh, Bloodshot, which is sort of their Punisher Wolverine amalgamation. Uh, you had Exo War is obviously an Iron Man crossover, and you got some really nice Bob Layton art. Shadow Man, which we reviewed the new generation of on one of our old shows. You forgot to mention Ninja, the one with the pretty pictures, with the Joe <laughs> Posada art. That, yes, very and very, very popular character. I just, that, that was towards the tail end. I was starting to sell at that point. The crash your, was coming. Your chromium wraparound Ninja covers weren't doing it for you. <laughs> no. Well, one thing that we hope does it for all of our last comic shop fans is our weekly polls. I'm, I'm hoping that you're still checking them out. It's been a long time since we did a poll recap on one of our shows. You know, So I thought that it would be a good opportunity on this week's show, since we're taking a little breather in between movies, to go ahead and get one of those recaps of some of our weekly polls. And again, you can find these maybe still on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it's... It's dicey sometimes. As, as of this recording, we can still post polls. We never know. Could change next week. Who knows? Maybe Twitter has exploded and, and is just a simpering mess of servers somewhere in Arizona. So make sure that you're checking us out every at least every Thursday to see if we've got one over at Last Comic Shop on Twitter. But go ahead, J.A., what's our first poll on this week's show? So our first poll is, who is your favorite insane supervillain? I forget why what would the genesis of that poll was it was around march madness but i forget uh you had the madness. the madness part of march madness a little bit too on the nose maybe i don't know so uh the choices were the joker carnage two-face and green goblin green goblin gave the joker a bit of a run at 23 percent, but the joker you know 65 you're gonna go with the joker he's got his own movie he's been played by Cesar Romero. So I, I didn't vote for the Joker. I voted for Green Goblin. I, I, I think Norman Osborn and even Harry at times, both of them were unhinged for different reasons. And I always thought they were more menacing because they weren't completely batshit. They were also nefarious, which was nice. Like I dug that. Chad? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the Green Goblin, in particular, the Harry Osborn version of the character. There was just something about that relationship and the almost familial aspect with Spider-Man. You could tell it meant something. Uh, so often with the Joker and Batman, they're both such blank slates. They're like, yeah, they can do whatever, but it, I don't always feel that it means anything, right? Yeah. Who did you vote for, J.A.? I voted for the Joker. I'm a Jack Nicholson fan. I'm a, real, a big fan of Heath Ledger's which won him the Academy Award posthumously. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That pencil trick still gives me nightmares. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Anyways, what's uh, poll number two, J.A.? Which Shazam power would you want? There are obviously six Shazam powers, but we only had four choices, so I had to do some selective editing. Edit out Achilles and Solomon. You're not getting... Well, the Solomon wisdom. one never makes any sense at all. Like, he's not even a god. He's some dude. <laughs> yeah. So the choices were strength of Hercules, stamina of Atlas, power of Zeus, or speed of Mercury. And then there's a lot of people commenting, well, with Zeus, does that mean you get all his powers, or is it just the lightning power? I mean, he's got a lot of powers. That's the reason I picked that one. Not only does Zeus have the lightning, but also he has, like, the strength and, like, the godliness and, like, the ability to turn into swans. And Russell Crowe was awesome. That was one of the best parts of... Uh, of Thor Love and Thunder was that... You um, flicked too hard! <laughs> so I, I was all about the Zeus's. Chad? Uh, I'm going to lie and say that I picked Hercules just to say something different. <laughs> just, uh, you voted for Zeus. I did. Ah, see, who'd you vote for, J.A.? I voted for the eventual winner, the Speed of Mercury. <laughs> what about the poisoning of Mercury? You see, don't want that. The reason no. why... I didn't pick Mercury is because, like, there's people that run faster than him. That's why I never understood about the Superman Flash races, right? That's like Flash's whole deal. Like, all he all he has 
He's moving <laughs> fast. It's sad that there's like this other guy's like, I have this power, this power, this power, and I can run as fast as the guy that can run fast. And we'll race every year and I'll let you tie. <laughs> but that's just me. That was just me. In any case, what was poll number three? Uh, this coincided with WrestleMania, I think. When we and then in the comic book when we covered Do a Power Bomb. So favorite wrestling era. The Golden Age, which is like the 80s and the early 90s. The New Generation, which is the mid-90s. Attitude Era. And then uh, the New Era, sort of from 2016 up until the present day. Ah, I mean, I voted for the New Generation. That's like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and Yokozuna and Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. All those guys, I think, are are more the new generation than the Attitude Era. So those were all my guys. But Chad? Well, I was torn because I grew up in the 80s and I loved me some Hulk versus Rowdy Roddy Piper, Junkyard Dog and George Andre the the Giant. Yeah, uh, all of those were great. But then whenever I went to college... My roommates and Andy and everybody is like, no, you got to watch this other stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll root for this guy with the long sideburns that thinks he's Elvis. Turns out that was The Rock. <laughs> and then that I, I, it sparked like a 10-year fascination with pro wrestling. And the Attitude Era was just so fun and crazy. You never knew whether somebody was going to come out in a beer truck or a milk truck, just like the beer truck, <laughs> or make references to other trucks, or throw people off bridges. You never knew. So I went with the Attitude Era. Uh, and that was the eventual winner, right? Oh, by a landslide, 56% of the vote. Uh, the Golden Age had 31% of the vote. Yeah, New Era, which is like 2016 till now, only 3%. And the New Generation, which I also voted for, mid-90s, only 9%. So I was going to ask if you had a horse in that race. Well, I mean, I like Brett the Hitman Hart and uh, the Heartbreak Kid. Those are my guys. So, Well, uh, what was poll number four? Uh, this coincided with somebody's birthday. So I had to discount that one year in 1979 that makes you almost Gen X and said, what's your favorite comic book decade uh, over Andrew's lifetime? Was it the 1980s, the 1990s, the 2000s or the 2010s? Okay. I voted for the 1980s, solidly. Those are still some of my favorite books. I mean, it's it's still the era of Dark Knight Returns and uh, Watchmen and all the great stuff that was going on in Marvel when Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief. Like, that's all the good stuff. Chad? Uh, I'm going to bring great shame to the podcast and uh, admit that it's not the 90s is my favorite era, nor is it the 80s when all those great books came out. It's the 2000s when they started decompressing the storytelling. And boy, that's what got me back into comic books when they started telling stories aimed at me as an adult. And I was able to go out and explore and even discover some of those things from the 80s and 90s that I didn't know about. But uh, yeah, the the mid-2000s was such a fertile time and the build-up to Civil War and you had 52, not new 52. (laughs) Um, But there was so much excitement around the whole shebang. So 2000s for me. All right. J.A., what was your pick? My pick was the 1990s uh, for the exact same reasons you had for the 80s. You had Jim Shooter doing his thing at Valiant. That being said, it was the decade when I probably spent the most on comics. It's definitely the decade when I made the most on comics after I sold them all. (laughs) The 1980s was the eventual winner at 49% of the vote. 90s came in second at 32, 2000s 11%, 2010s 8%. So it was a sliding scale down all the way. Well, we have one more final poll to go over before we get into that book that is from the 90s. So what was our fifth and final poll for this recap? So who is your favorite comic book archer? Uh, It was essentially Green Arrow, Hawkeye, or two people that I needed to fill out the poll with (laughs) in Danny Moonstar and Yondu. But you didn't pick Shaft from Youngblood? Yeah, come on, man. You gave Chad the Shaft? I did. The The reason why Danny Moonstar and Yondu have strings on their bows. (laughs) Chef was so badass, he didn't need a string. Exactly, he used his mind. He just imagined one. It was like his force of will shot the arrow, not anything else. In any case, yeah, this one this one was easy. There was no question it was going to be Hawkeye all day, every day. Even after reading, you know, uh, Ollie Queen and that Green Arrow book, which, speaking of which, Chad wasn't on that show, We so we never really got Chad's thoughts on Green Arrow Longbow Hunter. So, Chad... Putting you on the spot here real quick. So I came to it very, very late. I think I read it for the first time last year. And I got to be honest, I was disappointed that that was the follow-up in terms of prestige comics after uh, 
the Dark Knight Returns. Oh. And so I was left down, but I'm pretty sure that's a result of me coming to the hype way too late. If I had been there in the 80s, I'm sure I would have liked it a lot more. Okay. Well, who did you vote for ultimately, though? In the, in the Oh, Hawkeye was Boko. You get Kate Bishop and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, J.A., did you also vote for Hawkeye? Make it three for three? No, I voted for my girl, Danny Moonstar, just so she wouldn't feel left out. (laughs) (laughs) Danny Moonstar and Yandu came in at like 8% each. Hawkeye, winner at 46 to Green Arrows, 39%. Hawkeye was winning for a long time, and then there was a little late surge for Green Arrow. I thought he was going to catch Hawkeye, make it at least a, a close photo finish, but no. Uh, Hawkeye just had too much of a lead in the end. And nobody voted for Yondu. Hey, Mary Poppins, y'all. I will say, I do like Green Arrow's role in the DC Universe and all of the out-of-continuity stories. That ordinary yeah, guy who just comes in and cuts everybody down at the knees or whatever. But that's that's our that's our comic book polls. Uh, make sure that you're checking us out sometimes on Twitter. Sometimes we've got them. Sometimes we don't. I don't know. It, It's a weird world nowadays with the Twitters still. So regardless, we've got another comic book review coming up for you right after these commercial breaks. It is Harbinger issues one through seven plus a zero because that's what Valiant liked to do. The coveted zero issue. (laughs) You had to send in like little coupons. Stay tuned. We should get coupons. We already said BOGOs. Now we need coupons. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, Head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. Cartoon Dumpster Dive. I'm your host, Joel. And I'm your host, Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We painstakingly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. Alright, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our Read Pile Review. Yes, where there isn't a movie about Harbinger, but there... It's been optioned. It has been, but we still have a comic book review. That's what we like to do. It is the first seven issues plus issue zero, which you had to mail away from with coupons, I, I think. Yeah, from the first six issues, right? Yeah. I believe it also came bagged if you got the Hardbinger trade paperback, which that's how right. I got the original issue zero. Uh, was it the blue cover or the pink cover? Because the pink cover is the highly sought after. I think I had the blue cover, of course. There so not that's the highly that. sought after, the very expensive. Well, I mean, for a while, it was probably it's stratospheric. All the books. I mean, Harbinger 1 was selling for like $150 at one point, I think. Right, yeah. No, it, during the I think heyday, you can probably get it in a buck bin now. Yeah, during the heyday of Valiant, when Wizard was coming out with its top 10 books for the speculator market and you needed to buy, like Valiant was always topping that. Like Harbinger 1, Magnus the Robot Fighter 1, Solar Man of the Atom number 1, Shadow Man, all those books. First Master Dark. Like, oh, you need to get that issue. And he's like, all right, whatever. But in any case, this is the first eight issues. It's called Children of the Eighth Day. Uh, you can get it actually still in a collection because the new Valiant Entertainment has put this out for all the fans. But in any case, who worked on this comic book, Chad? Okay, so for the majority of the books we're going to talk about, it was Jim Shooter writing or storytelling duties. And Dave Latham on art with additional help from John Dixon on inks and J.J. Jackson and the knobs on colors with letters by John Costanza. The Zero Issue was written and drawn by David Latham with inks by Catherine Bollinger and Jorge Gonzalez on colors. 
we'll get into this when we get into the art, but I do want to give a special shout out to J.J. Jackson on the coloring of this because it's one of the first books where they were moving away from four color printing. It was digital laser printing. So they were able to do things with colors that they hadn't been able to do in the past. So that's why you get these vivid explosions. And the first issue as is a very famous first issue cover of them in the Mustang with this blooming yellow, orange, red explosion in the background, all the different colors mixing into each other, fading into each other. This is one of the first books to really do that on a consistent basis. And can I say... It kind of makes me sad you talk about that as though we're a good thing. Boy, do I miss the old four-color printing days. That was my jam. <laughs> well, one thing for sure, Harbinger is J.A.'s jam, and he's going to give us the 10 cents synopsis. So, J.A., what happens in these seven issues plus an issue zero? And you did tell us that you have to read the issue zero after you read all seven, right? Like- yeah, because the issue zero is sort of how they came about. It's the founding story of Harbinger, but... If you read that first, you don't have any skin in the game, so to speak, so that there's no interest. I think you've got to read the first seven issues so then you know who these people are. Then it's more interesting to sort of see their origin story. And therein lies the peril of the zero issue, where it's like, where do you read the zero issue? If you read it before issue one, you're going to spoil all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like, do you watch the prequels before the original Star Wars, or do you watch them after? Or you do what I do, is watch them in samurai order. (laughs) (laughs) All right, ten cents synopsis. What's going on with this? Okay, so hard Harbinger is uh, takes place in the 90s. It's about a bunch of teenagers. The protagonist, the main character, Peter Stanchek, has sonic powers not dissimilar to a Jean Grey Phoenix type. You know, he can read minds. He can float. He can knock people out. He can uh, take over their will and implant in them ideas that they should do this or that. Uh, but young and just kind of freaking out because he's got these powers. He's, he goes to this Harbinger Foundation which is run by Toyo Harada, who is taking all these kids that have these burgeoning powers and putting them to work to build a better world. But newsflash, it's not exactly a good thing, the world he wants to build. So Peter discovers this. He escapes and he forms a band of renegades to go against the foundation and their evil machinations on the world. Uh, Joining him are his on-again, off-again girlfriend that he sort of forced to become his girlfriend and then let go, and she stayed with him. Spoilers! Uh, We've got Zeppelin, Zephyr, the original Faith, uh, who went on to become her own book and sold quite well. You get Flamingo, who has some firepower, and John Torkelson, Torque, who's the big bruiser of the bunch. So you sort of, you know, you get in your stereotypical, not mutants, but they're sort of like mutants, and they go up against the Harbinger Foundation. Yeah. And by the end, spoiler alert, there's a very shocking development that really grounded the book, I think, that you're not expecting. And it set up the next 10 issues or so in the book dealing with the death of one of the main characters. Right. And I think I'm going to jump in there with my initial thoughts on this particular book. Cause it's a, it's a book that I remember J.A. reading when we were teenagers. Like again, he was uh, the valiant guys. And I, I, I was lucky enough to read most of them because again, he had them. And so they were just, you know, sitting on the coffee table and or, or on his floor in his room. And I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll read these too. I mean, at the time, I really loved them because, again, I lo- I've always loved Jim Shooter's writing. I thought he was a wonderful guy at Marvel. And I thought that with the Valiant Universe, he it was almost like he got a second stab at doing his new universe books. Like, remember when he came out with Marvel and the new universe and, like, Starbrand and all those characters? And like they blew up Pittsburgh to get back at him. Exactly. And so, like, with Valiant, he had an opportunity to make another shared universe starting from scratch and, you know, using Solar to create the whole universe and things like that. So I I was really enamored with it, especially leading up to Unity. But now, in retrospect, as an older man and coming in and reading this a little bit, especially in the years that have occurred since this series ran, right, we have now been like two decades worth of decompressed storytelling, right? It takes like 20 issues to get to a certain point. I really feel now that 
one of the reasons why this Harbinger run hasn't aged well is because things, believe it or not, happen way too quickly. Well, you mentioned the fact that one of the main members of Harbinger dies by issue six. And sure, it's shocking, but like we barely got to know this guy. Like, we barely got to care about this guy. And his name was Torque, so it was really hard to care. Right, he finally started getting uh, some character development, and then all of a sudden, he's, he's dead. And, like, I get it how that springboards the rest of the team in the aftermath, and there's a really good issue where, like, they, they want to see their friend buried. But, like, they keep on talking about they were a family or whatever, a found family. They... They just didn't have enough time as a group to build bonds where I was just like, yeah, they would care about each other. Like, I I think, like, this had to be, like, twice as many issues. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. It is very compressed. Now, you have to also imagine that a lot of these characters were heavily involved in the Unity crossover and they then showing up in the pages of Rye and showing up in the pages of Solar Man of the Atom, showing up especially in the pages of Magnus Robot Fighter, because spoiler alert, Torque is the father of Magnus. Yes. Who's, who's Chris's baby taken into the future by right. the Geomancers. That was another thing. Like, they barely talked about Chris and Torque, like, together. And they were just starting to touch upon, like, you know, Sting, and, like, the, the there was a love triangle, and maybe Flamingo's gonna be with Sting, and then he was gonna be with uh, Torque, uh, whatever. Like, again, they didn't have enough time to let all that breathe. They were just, like, moving on to the next issue, and then... There you go. So I, I'm gonna come at this from a, a different perspective, because I did not read this stuff as it was coming out in the 90s. And so for me to fully appreciate the series, I have to sort of like hit the rewind button a little bit. Now, I enjoy coming of age stories. And I feel like that's what this is. You got your group coming together. And for the most part, I I really enjoyed what was here. But I recognize we're sitting here in 2023 or whatever year it is. it, It hasn't aged well. Like having faith as a, you know, a superhero that wasn't in the peak of fitness, you know, as a superhero, that was that was pretty progressive and, and interesting. But the way the characters talk, the way the characters treat each other, I feel like it wasn't even of the time. Like Andy and I were talking before, and it's like, yeah, that's how people talked in the 90s. Yeah, I don't think people talked like uh, Torque McTorkelson <laughs> as he torqued around torquing. <laughs> My second grievance, the names of characters in this book are, are oh, I couldn't pronounce Zephyr. I called the book Harbinger because I didn't know Harbinger was a thing. Uh, bad guy names are like Weasel and Eel and Egg Cracker or whatever. Thumper. The names of so many of these characters are just terrible. I feel like, and this is kind of ironic, because if you know comic book history, you know that Jim Shooter was one of the youngest comic book professionals. Started to write action comics. Uh, and adventure comics with Legion superheroes as young as like 14 years old. Right. And so by the time he gets to Valiant, I feel like he's writing this book with teenagers and he is Steve Buscemi in the band music t-shirt coming in like, hello, fellow kids. (laughs) Like just so much of it was off and didn't feel genuine. But with that said, I recognize as a book from the nineties, there's a good chance if someone taught me how to pronounce the names that I really could have enjoyed this book. And even when we were done, I wanted to know what was going to happen. Not enough that I was willing to go out and read the issues, but I, I gave it a quick Google and like, ah, I don't know. All right, I'm gonna <laughs> but I did enjoy what was here, understanding like, okay, these references are dated, but it, it's certainly of its time, but that doesn't mean it was bad. So you guys are both wrong. You're all wrong. (laughs) I love it. What really drew me to the book in the 90s and why I think it still stands up is its contemporaries at the time. You had sort of overemphasized, overmusculatured. You think of everything coming out of image at the time, even everything out of sort of the main two, the X-Men books, DC books. Everything was super muscular, almost to a point of fetishization. David Latham's art is not that. The kids look like kids. They're small. Their bodies look normal. They look like normal people. And that's what drew me to it. 
the art and the storytelling was about like more normal kids going through things. Yes, they sometimes talk like adults think kids talk or it's a teen movie where everyone is a teenager is played by like a 24 year old. Right. It's all Luke Perry's. Yes. But I thought it was more relatable, especially in the 90s when I was reading it the first time. You can see yourself in some of these characters because they look like you or look like me. You know, they're normal body sizes. You mentioned Zeppelin's. She was a Star Trek geek and a Star Wars geek, and she was chubby, and and she flies. And they would make fun of her, and that became a thing, and they addressed that a bit. It is very compact storytelling, as Andrew said. I think that's because they had all these great ideas, and they were just almost too quick to roll them out. Maybe unintentionally seeing sort of the end in sight already. I, I do want to kind of comment on that i I think that was in in retrospect one of the the biggest problems with valiant is that everything was just building up to unity right it was like jim shooter knew what his plan was for this universe and he was so interested in getting to that finish line it takes you like decades to sometimes get to those finish lines you can't do it two three years and maybe when you're a startup company maybe you don't have the benefit of like a fan base that would wait around for some of these ideas to blossom so maybe you're just like well i gotta throw in as much as i can one of the most interesting ideas in this whole book in the second reading part of me thinks that like nobody has powers except harada and sting and harada and sting actually give everybody else their powers by like changing their brains slightly so that they all of a sudden have powers that would have been a fascinating thing where like there's actually two guys that actually have the ability to grant superpowers to other people based on their wishes or whatever or their dreams of what they want and so they go into their brains and like reconnect things and like okay now you have the power because i wanted you to have one and they hit around that but i was just like ah maybe they should have done more of that i well don't forget that going back to some of your other points Valiant ousts Jim Shooter in 1992, so he never really gets to take the things to that next level. But I was going to say the modern-day equivalent is the MCU, where the, there's the build-up, the build-up, the build-up, the Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, and then what's after that? It's really hard to jumpstart that again and repeat that process. Right. Yeah. But th- to Chad's analogy, it's kind of like having the MCU, and then all of a sudden after Endgame, they just fire Kevin Feige, and they're like... Now you really don't have anybody. Not only do you not have any ideas for where to go, but you don't even have the guy steering the ship anymore. Well, for me, I I did enjoy the complexity of the relationships. Like, you have Sting, and he's a bad guy. (laughs) Like, he's going in, and he's totally Professor X and all these people and manipulating them. And this was back whenever I was a kid before Professor X turned out to really be a bad guy. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's crazy. Um, and you see that, and then just the relationships between the kids, like, you can tell it's messy. You know, there are crushes, there, you know, the soap opera elements, I thought, worked, uh, mm-hmm. even though the way that it, it happened was kind of clunky. Yeah, and, I, and was, I will say that one of my, that my, I think my favorite issue of this entire scene actually was Zero, because Sting's story... They kill his best friend. They try to kill him in this. It's a dark story in which nobody's good. Like he's a douche the whole time, but he's a douche because he's like 14 and has godlike powers. I remember being a douchebag at 14. I think most most people at that age were like kind of still working things out. So what really drew me, one of my favorite parts of the entire story, and we yes, they're young, but them as a group trying to figure out how to do this superhero thing and like breaking into a post office so that they can find other people like them finding a doctor or a veterinarian to help because chris has been shot you know where do we live the kids on the run they they they're trying to figure out their lives as teenagers and as heroes renegades from this big evil corporation to me, that was very interesting, that that, that storyline and, and how they work out and or continue to work out. It's very, very similar, again, to New Mutants, which is probably why I like it so much. But without the Professor X or Magneto headmaster right. to like sort guidance. of point them in the right direction or guide them. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the issue where they, they have the hacker guy, the, you know, the Hacks. 90s cliche hacker. That ends badly, so they burn his nuts off. <laughs> but, 
that's part of that process though of like learning who you can and can't trust and right uh, that ended badly for that guy well he I ends think... up showing up throughout the universe if you read uh bloodshot number zero ah. he features prominently in bloodshot number zero and he he turns up here and there across the uh xo universe as well very cool well, we'll get to our ratings of Harbinger Children of the Eighth Day right after these commercial breaks, so stay tuned for more of The Last Comic Shop. Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat, Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries of sleep, and only one man can stop it, the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than Mighty Warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. Hey, welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the user name at Caption Life. You'll get a new episode from us every week, so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for ratings, where we're not children anymore. We're grown-ass adults, but we still read comic books. And even on the eighth day, the seventh day, the sixth day, the fifth day, and all those days, we will give you a rating scale to go along with our comic book reviews. So one out of four scale, J.A., what is that scale this week? Uh, we're going to go one out of four egg breakers. As Chad said he loved all the names in the book. Egg breakers were the bad guys, the bad group, sort of the hellions, if you will. So wh- how many eggs are we breaking on this book? All right. Well, we'll go ahead and start off with Chad. Since no! Was- no! Yes! <laughs> I don't want to start. I don't. Know I, I will go. Book. I will go. I'm going to rate this, and then I can give you all the reasons why it's a four. Oh. We're breaking lots. Of, hey, we're making a we're making a big omelet here. <laughs> now I don't know if I could put it up in the same league as Watchmen, Mouse, or Dark Knight Returns. That's a very, very, very high bar, and Seacourt.org I think is just trying to get their name on the back of book covers. <laughs> that being said, I will say that it is part of this very tightly woven universe and does hold its place within the comic book history and you know rightfully so is a must read if you want to read about you know 90s comic books the writing we've mentioned a lot the art again eschews sort of what was going on at the time and that's what i think made it so radical it wasn't this hyper sexualized hyper masculine forms they look like normal people and then the painting coloring by jj jackson able to take advantage of of new printing technology to really bring a subdued yet very complex color palette to the book all turn it into a four I think it started to wane a bit after they kicked Jim Shooter out. Definitely, probably the high water mark for the entire universe was the Unity and then sort of post-Unity. It was nice to revisit again. Sometimes you can go back to your childhood, and and this is one of those occasions where I could. Well, I'm going to be the opposite side of this coin. I think I'm going to give this a two. This is an average book and it's one of those things where i shouldn't have gone back to my childhood i i won't lie i really love the uh valiant universe and if ja had recommended that we read the valiant uh unity saga i would have of course said that was a four because that storytelling really does hold up but this i just have to say like now in retrospect they left just way too many good ideas on the floor I mentioned the fact that, like, it would have been super cool if Sting was the one that was implanting powers into people. But, like, even things like we're talking about the egg breakers, right? Like, you really never get a sense of, like, why the heck they should care about 
Harada and his mission. They're just like these nameless goons that show up, have terrible names, yeah, they're not beat nameless. up people, and then like just die. Like there's supposed to be one guy that's supposed to have like this uh, rivalry with Torque. I couldn't have told you who he was compared to all the other people that were just nameless jabronis that showed up. And that's not to say that there's not great stuff that came out of Valiant. I just don't think this one holds up as well. I would have rather read Unity. I would have rather read the first 10 issues of Solar Man of the Atom. I really would have loved to have read Archer and Armstrong or Eternal Warrior, or even the first seven issues of Rye. That's a great run. Harbinger, no. Just too many wasted ideas. Chad? Yikes. Okay, so my heart goes out for J.A. because I know I've been in his his version of the chair where there's something that you care about and there's something that you love from whenever you were young. And because you cared about it and loved it when you were young, that makes it special. And I, I totally get it, dude. I can understand why you're giving this a four. With that said, for as many like positive aspects as there are to this book, Faith is a positive. I thought some of the, the soap opera elements were really fun. Each of those things is canceled out by something else that didn't click for me. <laughs> like, I'm not rooting for Torque really ever. He's always kind of a jerk. And not in, like, the fun, mysterious Wolverine way. More just like, no, you're just an idiot. And Flamingo. I felt so bad for Flamingo. Boy, there's no respect for that character or anything uh, throughout the course of the, the story. And then uh, you, you mentioned the beautiful uh, color palettes that they used and the, the coloring process and how that changed. I, I'll be honest. The storytelling was fine, but I wasn't uh, blown away by the art. And I worry that I am doing a lot of what I, I, I do with Pearl Jam, where I blame Pearl Jam for the grunge in the 90s and like Pearl Jam unto itself, a fine band. Man, do I hate Pearl Jam because of all the, the grunge bands and things that begat from Pearl Jam. I blame Image and Valiant in particular for increasing the, the paper quality of the comics and increasing the color quality of their work because one, uh, most often it wasn't well done. It ended up being a garish monstrosity. But two, it made my comics more expensive. Sure, those pages are, are nicer now, but just print it on the cheapest possible paper. Give me more bang for my buck as opposed to the more prestige I don't know. It was just a, an opposite ethos for me. So I, I worry I'm blaming Valiant a little bit for that. But like I said, it wasn't bad. If I was reading this as uh, you know an 11 and 12-year-old, I could see getting hooked on it, even though Torque is obsessed with butts <laughs> and butt-based nicknames. And that was off-putting. Uh, I'm going to go uh, a 275. Where I could see the potential there, and I I, I mentioned to Jay, I don't know if I said it on the show, when I was done with this, I I really did want to know what was going to happen next. I wanted to know, does Sting get his comeuppance? But I wasn't so interested that I was going to go out and and track down the next couple issues. Okay, well, what I'm hearing is that you guys just want to read some more Valiant, just maybe something different. So uh, (laughs) we'll have to revisit. Anytime you want to read the Unity Saga, that! That's a show I can get behind. One of the best crossovers in comic books, bar none. So I'm all about that. But some other things I'm all about are this week's recommendations. Yes, you can pick up Children of the Eighth Day in a nice hardback version, as J.A. has. Uh, Or you can maybe see if you can find those issues in buck bins. But here are some other things you can pick up at your local comic book shop that we happen to like. And we're going to go ahead and start off. With J.A. Scott, who I think has more Valiant comic books to recommend. Yes, I'm going with uh, Archer and Armstrong. They premiered during the aforementioned Unity Saga crossover. Archer is a boy from Topeka, Kansas, raised by a evangelist minister, uh, devoutly religious, is a Hare Krishna, uh, has a near-death experience is sort of a bit Hawkeye-like, that he's very, very good at weapons and and always shoots on target. And then his counterpart, Armstrong, is a drunk and a lout and immortal. So the two of them get together and they go adventuring across the Valiant universe. Armstrong's brother is the much more serious Eternal Warrior, and they they come together sometimes. A bit tongue-in-cheek, it's not as self-serious as Harbinger, 
also has been collected into a massive omnibus that's very hard to find. Uh, but you can also find it, again, probably in buck bins and in various trade formats. Archer and Armstrong, the original run, I am suggesting the 1992 version. Oh, well, I could also say that the Archer and Armstrong version that was released in the the Valiant Entertainment reboot in the 2010s yes. is also very good. good. It's done by one of our favorite writers, Fred Van Lenty, and that's really what got me hooked back into Valiant in the 2010s was reading his run on Archer and Armstrong, which then begot me going back and revisiting uh, Eternal Warrior and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's another good run if you can find it. And one little thing also nice about the whole shared Valiant universe where everything is a bit like Skywalker. Everyone's related to everyone. Archer ends up marrying Flamingo. Oh! So hopefully she finds some happiness. She deserves it. All right. Chad, what brings you happiness in terms of comic books this week? So uh, my pick, uh, Jay was bringing up the Eternal Warrior. My pick is uh, from around that area, but instead I'm going to go with Marvel and the New Warriors, which came out circa 1991. The initial lineup consisted of Nova, which Night Thrasher was holding him up from uh, atop a building and dropping him and waiting for Nova to get his powers back and and he does, and he's like, what would you have done if I hadn't got my powers back? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I uh, had Speedball, one of my favorite 90s characters. You had Marvel Boy, a.k.a. Vance Astrovic, and Firestar from the Spider-Man and Amazing Friends cartoon. And they came together uh, to be sort of like a Young Avengers uh, generation before the Young Avengers were a real thing. It had Avengers-like elements, but it also brought some of that X-Men soap opera drama uh, along with it, I almost left out Namorita. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that Night Thrasher had a skateboard. <laughs> True. He did. It was very 90s. Very 90s. But instead of reading uh, Harbinger, I was reading the book with names I could pronounce. <laughs> and so uh, the first 25 issues, I think, were really fun. And then it, the series goes off the rails for a little bit. But yeah, if you can find it, I know they released a, a wonderful omnibus a few years back. The first 25 issues. You can also find a lot of these issues, you know, in your buck bins. Seek out the the time when they uh, were fighting Terax. Those issues are great. Or when they go back in time and have their own version of Days of Future Past with uh, Immortus. Uh, There's lots of fun to be had with the New Warriors by Fabian Nicienza and Mark Bagley. Uh, If you're looking for 90s Marvel teenage coming of age stories. Well, to finish out our recommendations this week, I've got another team book. And it's part of my uh, series of recommendations all throughout the summer, which are good books to read at the pool. Yes, it is the summertime, and people are going to be wanting to go to the pool and have some light reading that you really don't have to think about. So all for the rest of the summer, all of my recommendations are going to be books you really don't have to think very much about, but are pretty cool. And the first one I'm going to start off with is Jurassic League. Why? Because it's Superman as a dinosaur. They're all dinosaurs. Joker and Batman and Wonder Woman as a Triceratops and whatever. It's a real high concept book that initially was like gangbusters. Like everyone was talking about Jurassic League last year. Like they were like, oh my gosh, the Jurassic League. The excitement waned after some time. By the time they got to issue five, six, people were like, nah, not as good as some of the other Daniel Warren Johnson stuff that he's put out. But I was still a fan of it. It's got wonderful art by Juan Getoff, and even though sometimes that can be, you know, you're like, oh, it's a Daniel Warren Johnson book, I want Daniel Warren Johnson art, I think they do a really good job working together on this, and Batman is a giant T-Rex, and he's got like a caveman Robin boy, I, I, I don't know, you're at the pool, do you really want to think about it? No, you just want to read something it's got punches and kicks so yeah read jurassic league if you haven't read it already cool yeah <laughs> it's it's got those danny warren johnson covers too so you don't uh, totally miss out on all the dwj fun right and one thing that we hope that you don't miss out on is more of the last comic shop by rate reviewing and subscribing over at our website www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com a place where you can find all of our episodes and they are evergreen. So you're going on those road trips all this summer. Make sure that you download plenty on your uh, digital device so that we can keep you company 
when the kids are screaming in the back. There we go. All right. We tried this once already. Let's try the fast ending again. You guys ready? Okay. All right. Yes. Okay, so we'll start off. Andy, where can people go for supplies? That's right. That's PCWsupplies.com. Use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off your order. There you go. Uh, Jay, what is the name of our website? LastComicShopPodcast.com. I think. Yes. Correct. Jay, what kind of merch can people get at our website? Shirts, shoes, tote bags, and this week only 90s flannels. Shoes? <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Dog <laughs> Whatever. Go on with it. We're running with it. Okay. Andy, the socials, what are they and what can people find it's there? It's all at Atlas Comic Shop, Twitter and Instagram and the YouTubes and the Mastodons. Are we still banned from there? I don't even know. Yeah, that is a soft band. <laughs> anyway. This week, we read Harbinger from the 90s. Our recommendations included Archer and Armstrong, the 1992 version, New Warriors from the 90s, and Jurassic League from about a year or two ago. Go to a local comic shop near you, look for that stuff, and more, www.comicshoplocator.com. Oh, there you go. And we hope that you come back next week. I'm Until then, I'm the host of The Most, Danny Larson, is joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. Remember, we've got plenty of great stuff the rest of the summer, and like, who makes the best hamburgers? And, uh, Lots of comic book interviews from all these shows we're going to go to and, and have gone to already. We're going to finally get those to you. Plus, more movie reviews. They're coming. Until then, stay safe, stay cool, and remember that if you were a harbinger of things to come... Have better names. Work on your names. It's like a blimp, but just all butts. Remember those? Remember the sandwiches called blimpies? Why would you eat a sandwich called a blimpy? That's the worst sandwich name ever. I thought the worst sandwich name had Hardee's at the beginning of it. Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.